When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Hello and welcome to the interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Chuck Todd, the moderator of Sunday show Meet the Press. In addition to hosting the longest running program on American television, Chuck has a weekday show on MSNBC, Meet the Press Daily, and a program on NBC's streaming platform Peacock called Meet the Press Reports. He's also the political director of NBC News. I called up our very busy guest on Wednesday afternoon, shortly after President Joe Biden held a press conference on his summit with Russia's Vladimir Putin in Geneva. Chuck and I discussed his takeaways from the summit, the future of cable news, what he makes of his Twitter critics, and how to handle politicians who lie on air. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Aiden. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a busy week, um, and I, I, I'm excited to get your take on uh, on the news. Max Scherzer on the on the IL. Is that what you want to know? That's, <laughs> that's all my son is upset about. But yes, uh, actually, more uh, to do with the Biden Putin summit. <laughs> oh um, yes, which yes. you have just been covering on air. I was watching you. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to know what your initial takeaway from the summit is. Well, it was just. just I, look, I just find it uh, in, in some ways both Biden and Putin were in character of who they are. Mm. Right. They both came out and, and Putin did sort of a very predictable press conference, a little bit of his political theatrics, his whataboutism and all that. Um, what I thought was uh, interesting about President Biden was the level of confidence he had. Like this is you could tell when he came out, he's really enjoyed this week. Right. Mm. This is this was Senate Foreign Relations Chairman Joe Biden in his element, you know, in many ways. There is a confidence that he has, right? I, I, how he was explaining, guys, foreign policy, it's not some magic thing, it's personal. You know, it was, um, you know, sometimes we see President Biden on the stage and there's a, it feels very, um, it can be a little bit stilted sometimes, not here. And that was something, it, 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 in that sense, I thought it was, it, it, there was a part of me that thought, boy, I think he's enjoyed this trip. I think this is, and I think people forget this, when people dream of being president and you know, all the people I've ever interviewed who wanted to be president, when you have the off the record conversations, it's the world stage that draws them, right? That's the, you know, they wanna solve those problems. You know, none of them ever wanna ever say, I can't wait to be president so I can do press conferences in the Brady briefing room or that I could, you know, I do think that sometimes, and, and you know, I think Biden is no different, but I do think there is this pull and sort of, you know, because, we may not cover foreign policy very well day to day as a press corps, but what do the history books write about? Mm. You know, and, and you get the sense that many, either an American president or wannabe president, um, thinks about that a lot when they're on these trips. You know, that it's funny because I was uh, this morning, I was sort of rolling my eyes at all this discourse about the body <laughs> language. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's a, you know, it's a great thing for like pundits to talk about when there's dead air and, and they're waiting around for a, for a private summit to end um, as if it's like a seriously meaningful thing, whether or not a president is crossing his legs. But you're right, like <laughs> Biden, <laughs> Biden does look 
like confident. And this, yeah. this does seem to be his element, right? As, yeah. as opposed to sort of his, the, you know, some of, some of the other press conferences or speeches he may do domestically. Um, you know, he always- Look, I'll tell you, these, Aiden, yeah, I, I get the sense that when he's talking about domestic politics, like, I do get the sense he's still learning the new Democratic Party, right? And he's always, <laughs> and it meaning he's like, always, he picks and chooses his words so carefully and all of that. Here, this was a case where I know this language. You know, I've been speaking this yeah. Diplo speak for, you know, fifth, most of my adult life, right? That that was, I think, the uh, that's probably the the confidence difference. And it's like, how many times have we heard that story about how he he you know stared into Putin's eyes and said, you know, I don't <laughs> right. see your soul or something like this is this is the stuff that he that he truly loves. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But do you think? I mean, just as far as you know, how the media is going to cover this in the next couple of days? Do you think there's any like tangible results from a summit like this, or is it is it kind of just theatrical? Well, the, the way we cover it is theatrical. The way it's going to get covered, I think, collectively, sometimes I think overemphasizes the theatrics, as mm. you pointed out. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of analysis on what do we make of Biden, you know, getting his back up there at the end, you know, that sort of thing. Or, you know, even I noticed, you know, and I pointed it out on air, you know, Putin's body language changed when he talked about Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. when, when, you know, we're all sitting there listening to the translation, but I always want to, you, you do want to watch body language because it does at least tell you, you know, and, and the fact that he is so animated on Ukraine, I think it tells you, boy, that, that's, a, that, that, that's going, not going to be a solvable problem in the, in the near term. Um, but, you know, what we have, what we're terrible at sometimes, and I say this collectively, I don't want to, and then single out, is, you know, Biden's right. We're going to know in three to six months whether this was successful, not three to six days, you know, and there's going to be, hey, where's the where, where's the deliverable on cyber and where's the deliverable on this? And, and I look and, and when I'm in that press corps, I'd be asking the same question. And I think it's a good question to ask, but it is also fair for them to say, we don't know yet. We're going to find out, you know, we, we got to wait. And so I think that that sometimes uh, is why early on there's this. And, and one little you know, one of the things that I think is the most difficult uh, thing to remind people of when we say the media, you know, people will say, so why does the media do X? And I'm always like, the media isn't one entity, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it is not an entity, right? There's, there's sort of different facets of media, right? There's your informational media, there's your activist media, there's your opinion media, you know, we could go through the different ways. And it's like, it, it is, and then there's sort of like how social media you know, it, social media, I think, collectively creates the impression sometimes that we're all so focused on the shiny metal object. And I want to sit here and say, no, that's not mainstream media. That's social media, you mm -hmm. know, but it's hard to distinguish that these days, I think. And, and, and look, I think that's one of the challenges we have as an industry, right? Our front door to many people is social media to too many people. And you want to say, you know, this is not representative of the media. You know, it is just representative of a small slice of the media. Speaking of different formats of the media, uh, I mm -hmm. want to ask about Meet the Press Reports, um, mm -hmm. which is your streaming show for NBC. Uh, it airs mm -hmm. on Peacock. Um, and this this episode of this podcast drops on Thursday. And, we drop uh, Thursdays, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you guys have your season finale on Thursday night. Uh, what can you tell us about the streaming show? From what I understand, you know, each episode is a deeper dive into one right. topic. I, I sort of look at it as it's sort of the what I, I've always joked, you know, we need an extra 30 minutes mm. every Sunday. And it, and part of it is there's always this feeling that 
and and this is the the tyranny of 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 the one hour right you and and of a weekly show right you want to there's so much you want to get to and you you sort of try to strike that balance of okay let's try to cover what the, the most of what we think this this broader audience wants to have but a lot of times you know you wish boy I'd like to offer this sidebar deep dive for the viewers that are really interested, right? You know, click here if you want to know more type yeah. of thing. And, and now in the world that we all live in, right? Now that linear TV is basically uh, antiquated, right? And that there is, there is no, there are no restrictions if you choose to embrace it, right? There are no restrictions on time. There's certainly restrictions on time if you are, are putting your show on a broadcast network or putting your show and you certainly should have restrictions and time in order to keep the interest of the viewer but that sort of you know was the i can't tell you how many times you know my staff or we would say well you know we ought to do a deep dive on voting rights or mm. let's look at the future of millennials you know and and you can make an argument well i should do that on a sunday well i should but at the same time if i get offered tony blinken i should spend some time with him you know so yeah. what the beauty of beat the press reports is that it allows us to sort of you know, what we did a few years ago and what we were really proud of is when, when we decided to devote, like, well, let's just do a full climate change show. We'll do it during a, a slower time in the news cycle in December and let's see how that goes. And, and it was sort of that experience a few years ago that said, well, we need to do more of these. And it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, and then Peacock shows. And it's sort of, look, I've been in this mindset that, you know, and I, I've had this mindset since the day I took Meet the Press. In fact, I have a I have a memo that I wrote uh, 12 years ago on like sort of where, you know, that, you know, we got to be careful to meet the press brand can't get stuck just being a Sunday show type of thing. Right. It's bigger than that. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a, it does stand for something that's more than just a one hour show on Sunday mornings. And, you know, in that sense, this has now been the natural extension of that. And in, in many cases, look where we're headed as a media, right. We're about to go to a, you know, we thought we fragmented before we're going to Uber fragmentation. Um, and, and so in that sense, I view like, Hey, look, I, I want to, I want to provide everything to the politically and policy engaged potential viewer of meet the press. I'll have my standing Sunday show that gives you the opportunity to, to, to interact or see, or, or, or see the, the power brokers, but we also want to do the smarter deep dives. You know, I've gotten into this documentary film, you know, we, we got in the documentary business more of. To, to showcase documentaries, but we wanna be getting into the production of them. So it, it really is sort of suddenly, we have the real estate to use. And these are all things that we didn't have the real estate five years ago, now we do. Yeah, and I mean, a streaming service really allows that. But it, it, it's it's funny, you really do have your fingers in, in every type of TV news format. You, you moderate mm -hmm. a Sunday show, you have a daily show on, on cable news, uh, you have a show on a streaming service. Do you have a preferred format of any out of any of those shows, I mean, they're different in how they deliver news. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it, it's not that I have a preferred format. I have a preferred format for a specific thing. Like, look, I mm -hmm. am. I, I think the, I think the thirty-minute interview is best. Thirty-minute or longer interview is best in the format you and I are doing right now, mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah, I think the, you know, and for instance, I would argue that you know one of the things that Meet the Press has prided itself on over over the decades is sort of getting to know the people that are thinking about running for president someday. I think those interviews are harder to do on TV and easier to do in a podcast format, right? Hmm. So, you know, there's that. You look at the streaming service. I like the time, I like the idea of both being 
on the news, but not, not totally um, stuck with the news, right? Letting the news cycle drive what you cover. So then, you know, Peacock gives you this, you know, the, the, the streaming service gives me a little more leeway to do the magazine piece, you know? I, I, we, we do 10 to 15 minute pieces and then we discuss it. I mean, I always say, I'm, I'm, there's, we're not doing anything that hasn't been done. I'm borrowing a, a little bit from a 60 minutes, a little bit from a real sports, a little bit of my favorite magazine shows and trying to create one for the politically engaged consumer a little bit. So I, I think it, it's not that I have a favorite, you know, it depends on, you tell me, you know, I think there are some things where the Sunday show is best. I think that's where we can have great conversation. I think, you know, it, it, it really is, platform. It, it, it's more about, and that's what I like having now. I can't tell you how many ideas that will have pop up at a meeting. And I'm like, you know what? That interview is not going to be good on TV. Hmm. That person's not good in an eight minute interview. They're much better in a 25 minute interview. Let's do that. You know, I, I, that's the, that's the beauty or, you know what, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to do voting rights, but maybe we need to do a whole hour or maybe we need to do 40, 45 minutes, not just try to find one secretary of state to represent the point of view of one state's fight on this stuff. You know what I mean? It, it is, it is sometimes finding the format that fits the idea best. And I guess, you know, that's the advantage of having every single format available to you. Well, no, <laughs> that's sort of, I, I was just going to say, I come from, you know, I came from Hotline. I came from National Journal yeah. where I, back in the day where you were just like, and I remember being skeptical of going to television at the time going, oh, I just love these. You know, I feel like I, I, I this is a, this is a, uh, a better environment to do these things. And then you realize the power of these platforms of NBC. And then you realize where we're headed uh, in a, in a, you know, where this next level, and it's like, there's only there's only three or four aircraft carriers in the ocean that that, that give you these opportunities. And, and sometimes I think there's only one. You know, I've always said our, our you know, sometimes we're, we're the biggest we're the biggest media ship at sea. And, um, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I and, and I am really, you know, the, the I, to me, the most transformational thing we're doing is Peacock, because I just think I I. I I've never felt better about the future of where we're headed. I feel like, okay, NBC News is going to be okay. We're mm. going to be fine, right? I don't know about other places and how they feel, but it's like, you realize, okay, we're prepared for this massive change that's coming to visual mediums. Yeah, so I mean, all networks now are making a, a push into streaming, yep. um, right? Obviously, because you know, there's, uh, there's this idea that, that streaming is sort of the future of cable news. And I, I was actually... You know, this has been a big topic of conversation now that the sort of sugar high of the Trump era has worn off mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, I should note that uh, that Meet the Press, the Sunday show, uh, is pretty consistently the top rated mm -hmm. um, Sunday show. But I had Ben Smith on a few weeks ago and I asked him about cable news and mm -hmm. he, he was quite sour on it. He said that it was in a slow but terminal decline. Is that do you have reservations about the future of cable news or do you or are you optimistic about the outlook? I would look at it this way. I, I don't want to, let me, I think it depends on how you look at cable news and why you hear these doom and gloom, right? Mm. If you measure the future of cable news through the linear viewership, right? Um, how, you know, do you get your, you know, where you get your television, right? You know, do you get a, do you have a cable box? Do you do it the, essentially the old fashioned way? <laughs> um, and a lot of cable news viewers in general are from an older demographic. Mm. Um, right. And so there has been this sense that, oh, you know, watch what happens. You know, you're going to see this go off a cliff. 
But that's only if you look at it through the prism of linear, where, where you look at, you know, and whether you want to uh, look at what, look at what MSNBC is doing on Peacock, look at what we're developing with NBC News now, look at what, I don't know what CNN's plans are, but you have Fox Nation and what mm -hmm. they've done, is that, um, I, I, you know, and this gets at something that sort of as a pet peeve of mine is that I think sometimes cable news has an outsized impact on the person, on, on, on that the, that cable news is most representative of the rest of the media. And I just don't believe that's the case, right? Cable news is just a, a, a certainly a front door, right? For the industry of the media, but you don't quite, you don't quite, um, you know, it isn't, it's sort of like if you were to say the, the new the New York Post is representative of the New York media market more so than the New York, you know, and you'd be like, mm. well, they have the, they have the shinier headline, but the New York Times has all the substance. You know mm. what I mean? And I say, you know, and, and so, and I'm not saying there's not substance on cable. I don't want to, I'm not trying to imply that, but, but, you know, because of its fast moving nature, right? But I do think the future of cable news is going to this fragmentation. And so, you know, cable news, what does that even mean? What is that going to even mean anymore? Right. Mm. We, we called it cable news because you could only get these quote cable channels. But if they're all available on streaming, do we call it streaming news now? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> yeah. And have the, digital websites that are massive correct. and get a huge amount of traffic. Yeah. So what I think we're headed is I look at, look at the ESPN app. I don't mm. know if you're a huge sports fan and I don't want to presume, um, but I spent a lot of time in the ESPN app, especially during college football season, but frankly, during any sort of college sports season. And there are, you know, I had a nephew in the, in, in, that was in the college baseball tournament. Um, and, you know, I, all I did was go on my ESPN app and I got that stream. So I was watching college <laughs> baseball on ESPN, but I wasn't watching it on my cable box. Yeah. Right. But I was watching ESPN. I, you know, I mostly I, watch soccer. So it's, it's really just Fubo for me, which is, well, the there you go. But the, the, point is, the, the point is, is that that's not always on linear television, is it? No. Streaming. Right. How often do you go to a very, a streaming service that'll have it? Right. That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why you're seeing, Frankly, um, the, the sports that have the most passionate followings, right? They almost they got scooped up the quickest, you know, by mm. by by various entities trying to create. Look at what Peacock's done with WWE, or how we put um, I think the uh, uh, Premier League on there. You've got what ESPN has done with I think the Bundesliga, right? If I'm if I got I'm saying, you know, and I think that's just in the world of of, of, of football. Mm. I'm trying to be, you know. Instead of soccer, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to trying to make sure I get the, use the right words. <clears throat> but my point is, is that sort of it's sort of going to be an outdated idea, cable news, because MSNBC is going to have four or five streams, right? Mm. Right now they want to CNN is going to have four or five streams. Uh, Fox is going to have four or five streams, right? And you may have different flavors of whether it's maybe it's based on politics, maybe it's based on subject matter, maybe it's based on geography, right? You know, there are different ways that you could see organization slice this and that's why i think we're going to this hyper fragmentation and and the current fragmentation has been really bad for the countries right we don't have an agreed upon we, we rarely have an agreed upon set of facts unfortunately mm -hmm. right but if you have hyper fragmentation i have this theory that says well then there's more chances that you accidentally pierce your pierce a bubble you haven't been <laughs> hearing about, right so I, that's, that's a very right. optimistic look I on, the, on the fragmented media. But that's the thing. Like, I, I'm hopeful that people will stumble on and meet the press reports and it gets them in, you know, yeah. it's not, just, you know, and, and I think that, you know, if you, if you end up diversifying 
you know, because there's some one thing you want to get off one streaming service, well, maybe you suddenly aren't just going to be this single-minded viewer that only watches one perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It is so hard, you know, now, look, I'm, I, you're right. I'm, 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 maybe I'm being Pollyannish here because, you know, we also thought social media was going to be this great democratizer, <laughs> right? And it's turned into be almost Whoops. the opposite. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess that, <laughs> you know, it's just happening anyway, so I better hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's an immovable force that you just got to right. hope, you know, comes out the right way. Um, yeah. it, I think some networks I have, you know, have gotten criticism. I think, you know, Fox News has, has been criticized a lot for this, for, for moving more into opinion in a bid to juice ratings. Um, they, you know, they had, they added a couple extra hours of opinion to their, uh, their programming uh, after the 2020 election when they were sort of down in the ratings. Do you, do you see that happening in media, this, this sort of move towards more opinion? And do you think that that's dangerous? Uh, well, I wouldn't call it, I'd actually look at it a, a slightly different way, though it, it's the same result, which is, I think there are too many folks worried about catering to a viewership or mm-hmm. a readership, where you feel as if you make your you make your decisions on what you broadcast based on what will go viral, what will keep people watching, what will fire up viewers, what will do this. So it is, my concern on that is that as you do this over time, you continue to pervert the news cycle, right? You know, let's take this, uh, this so-called controversy over critical race theory. And I say so-called controversy because it's sort of, it's a creation out of, out of, you know, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a, it's a faux controversy that's being ginned up. And it, I guess it just gets attention, keeps people watching or keeps people clicking or, you know, all of that. That's the concern, right? And then suddenly you create a, there's this perceived, and suddenly, you know, yada, 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 school board meetings are getting disrupted, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of like, wait a minute, are you covering the news that people need to know? I mean, I, you know, I keep coming back to something that is sort of like, what should be the basic mission of any news entity? You got to inform your viewership of what they have to know, what they need to know, not just what they want to know. You know, it's and, funny. and I think there's yeah. a lot, there's a little too much of, of what you want to know. Um, and then a low, you know, sort of a, a, in that, that's my concern. And I, you know, look, I don't want to sit here and, and, and uh, have an aggregator create a headline, right? <laughs> on me, you know, Chuck Dodd says X, and then they try to imply that it, it means I'm criticizing this person or that person. Mm-hmm. This is more, and I think this is the, this, this goes back to, we've been worried about the click, make it, click beta-ization of news for quite some time, right? Back in the old days, we were in the television business accused of being, quote, ratings driven. I would argue the print, you know, these days, the way digital works and most emailed stories and algorithms, this, and, you know, all of that, um, who's, who's being overly responsive to what gets clicks, right? Like that's the old. And so that to me is a danger. And it's sort of one of those, you know, I talked to fellow colleagues about this and we, it's sort of like, you have this collective agreement. Yeah, this is a problem. Hey, but I've got to do this for my audience, or I've got to do that, you know, and it's like, we know it's bad collectively, but I do think there's too many of us acting individually. And I think part of it is because the incentive structure um, 
rewards the you know rewards the individual, not the collective in this case. You know, just speaking of the of the critical race theory thing, I I remember during during the Trump era, I I sort of realized that, and this is you know this is more FoxNews.com than than really the the cable news network itself, though I, I imagine it operates in a similar manner. But I I think NBC News and CNN see it as more see it as more of a duty to focus on the big monumental news of the day. Whereas you'd go on foxnews.com and it would seem like the sort of incentive was more to operate like a right-wing blog, which mm -hmm. would put, you know, a, a Twitter responses to Brian Stelter as their lead story on it's a day where, where some monumental news had happened on the world stage. And it just seemed like a different, a different mandate for covering the news, which was basically, you know, the way blogs work, which is whatever's getting the most traffic you put in the, in the featured position. Um, Whereas I don't think CNN or NBC News operate like that at all. Um, no, it's the old talk radio model, yeah. right? Like, you know, what's going to get people calling in? Yeah. You know, and telling them the facts and, and saying, you know, like, like the Putin summer, well, we'll have to wait three to six months. That ain't going to get phone calls. No. Right. You know, it, it, and that's the problem, right? Is that, um, and I always say that's the tyranny of being in a for-profit journalism enterprise. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, uh, many of these journalistic uh, entities or want to be journalistic entities um, have, you know, are also a business, right? And I think, um, unfortunately, there is there is short term money to be made with the cheap clickbait, um, you know, sort of uh, shiny metal object, you know, cr creating a controversy out of, you know, sort of controversy creation. Mm. And um, like, it's just, it, it's like I said, it's no different and the way local talk radio sort of took off in the 80s and, and 90s. And, and it's sort of, in, in, in that sense, it's, it's sort of the same, it's the same, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hitting us in the same way, right? It's trying to touch those uh, zones in your head um, via your social media feed or maybe a cable news banner or some sort of notification you get, right? And it, it, it it really is sort of the emphasis on the on the minutia and on the sort of the you know what what could offend you culturally um, keeps you coming back. Right? There clearly is a group of there's enough people to support that business model. The problem is we can't pretend it's actually you know that now it's also now turned into a sort of an important electoral tool for the Republican Party. So that. That is really, I think, complicated, you know, our industry a lot. Now, you mentioned sort of catering to a news catering, catering to an audience earlier. Do you pay attention to Twitter at all? Not, any, not anymore. <laughs> You're and off I Twitter. Say, I mean, I, I, I joke, I, I think I quit smoking. I mean, I stopped Twitter. <laughs> and, I, you know, it's funny. I, um, you don't even have a burner account? You don't like snoop no, on I look, it occasionally? I'm, I'm not saying I don't look at it. Okay. I look at it every once in a while as a news feed. Uh -huh. um, but I look at it at five in the morning when everybody I follow at five in the morning that's updated are newspapers. Smart. And, and you know, that is at five in the morning, it's still better than any AP wire. You know, I'm a yep. I'm, look at the end of the day, I'm a news junkie. I remember at the hotline I had it. We, we had to scam back in, in the in the 90s. We got access to the AP 50 state wire. Well, that was the mother load of <laughs> of news information. And it was it was. Uh, Congress had a, you know, used to had a deal with AP that gave it to them and, and basically 
we had a password. It was like, because we couldn't afford it. AP wanted to charge us an arm and a leg for the 50 state news feed. No news organization, I think, other than like the Times or the Post would pay that the astronomical price. And it was the best thing going. Right? It was a way to make sure we didn't miss stuff. Oh my God, there's a poll in North Dakota. There's this, there's that, right? The 50 state mm -hmm. newswire was the, the, you know, for anybody over the age of 50 in our business listening, they'll say, oh yeah, I remember. Anybody else is going, what the hell are you talking about, old man? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that's where our, Twitter is at its best. When I get to, you know, I'm, a, I'm still somebody that wants to, either via Twitter or via email alert, I look at least at one, one front page in every state. And frankly, I, you know, it's basically one front page in, in at least, it's usually two per state and, and at least one feed that I'm following per, news, per state uh, of a news feed. Uh, of what I think is the best of the newspapers in a, in a given state. And um, so at five in the morning, Twitter's fantastic. I definitely don't even bother with Twitter basically is, is when, when the sun is out um, or, when, or at night when the sun goes down, unless I'm watching a sporting event and I'm curious to see, uh, um, hey, what are they thinking of Durant tonight? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> That's a good but rule. I, I don't, I really have because one of the things you find out, and, and frankly, I think the Democratic primary campaign should have been this wake-up call for our entire industry. And mm. there's too many journalists think what, what is said and happens on Twitter is representative of any sort of entity. It's representative of the 7% of people that are on Twitter. Yep. That's all it's representative of. I, think, know? And I, I think, think Eric Adams winning a, a, a mayoral campaign in New York City is another example of, correct. of the Twitter. Or how about Terry of, McAuliffe winning yeah, that primary, exactly. right? Like, it, it, it or you know again Joe Biden being the best example of it all. So I think we've. This is not to say social media should be completely dismissed. This is not to say that I don't think there's constructive criticism that may appear via social media, but I don't pay attention to social media criticism. I I pay attention to anybody that individually emails me. Mm -hmm. You know I take that a lot more seriously than I would any sort of tweet because you know, social media just it's a it's all emotion, right? There's really no rational reaction that people have on social media, including some of my fine colleagues who I think spend too much time worrying about it. But, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, no, but, but there's a business side to it. I mean, I understand yeah. why some of these colleagues do it. There's part of me that's, you know, and maybe it's easy for me because I've got a network platform to say, well, I don't need that mm. type of thing or whatever. And I, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of it. I miss, I miss the Twitter of 2012, right? I miss the idea that we could have sort of be transparent, have sort of a, you know, and, and that's gone. I'm mildly hopeful of the audio social media. Mm. And I'm, like I am, yeah, I want to, you know, and I know there's a multiple of them, so I don't want to single out any, but mm -hmm. yeah, sure. I'm, I am, uh, that's something I want to engage in because I think, again, um, I've never, you know, you, I, you rarely have somebody who will be a jerk if their vo own voice is there. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> there's a sense of you got to be constructive. You can hide behind, you know, you can have email strength or social media strength, but maybe in, in the audio format, there's a little more, um, a little more decorum. Yeah, a little easier to get flustered yeah. on that end. So you'd, yeah, you'd probably be a little bit more respectful. Now, yeah. I, I, I want to talk about something that's been a big point of debate among the Sunday show hosts. Uh, and... I think I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> that is whether to interview Republicans who uh, enabled Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Right. Um, just for our listeners, uh, Chris Wallace uh, at Fox News Sunday dismissed the idea that he would ban those politicians. Yeah. Um, he called it moral posturing. And Jake Tapper at CNN uh, uh, said that he doesn't want those people 
on his show. What's your position? And I should note that you, you recently got praised for for an interview, a really great interview with Dan Crenshaw, um, a congressman uh, from Texas, a Republican, uh, who clearly didn't want to talk about the 2020 election. Um, mm. And you kept asking him about his support for the Texas lawsuit, which sought right. to basically disenfranchise millions of voters. And I thought, personally, I thought that was a more valuable display than just blocking these people from the air and pretending that they don't exist and don't have power. Is that how you see it? How do you how do you land on the question of whether whether we should you know, Sunday shows specifically and media more broadly yeah. should interview election deniers. Well, look, I, I, I I'm going to get at this. I, I like everything. This is why I appreciate the podcast format. Is like everything, <laughs> you, there is nuance to, to to all of these things. But I I want to take issue with with sort of you know the the Sunday shows. Uh, in you know, there's always been a part of me that says I'm not going to answer this question until print media asks this question. I always find it interesting that no one asked the New York Times whether they should interview Ron Johnson. No one asked New, uh, the Washington Post. And, well, and but we I can, know, I can they, yell at your face on correct, the TV. Right. I can't yell I at the New York Times' face. Sulzberger or, or whoever I would direct well, my I anger that. to. No, 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 <laughs> no, I get that. But my point is, it's sort of like, I find it interesting that of, I find this, and I, I, I always really get my back up with another media organization, not you in yeah. this case, because you're not, but uh, it, but when, when sort of like a New York Times or Washington Post reporter wants to talk about this, I'm like, you know, can, can, you, can you go check your glass house and see if there's any window <laughs> crack first before you start, you know, throwing Have you interviewed a all? dishonest politician before? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and by the way, how did you handle it? And just because you edited out the part where they were, you know, saying stupid stuff, did you push back on it? Did you, yeah. do, you know what I mean? I, I, it is. So anyway, I want to set that aside because I do find the, the television double standard from from those that are in the printed word medium to be to be rich, <laughs> but I, look, I, I've I've been asked about this. Are there people you ban? You know, I had people ask that I ban Kellyanne right mm. after all the facts, and you know, I always say this. You know, you you, I think you got to be careful of absolutes, right? You don't know. I, I I feel like I have a compact with my viewers that they expect me to deliver them the information they need, surface the accountability, right? And so you don't know when somebody you think deserves to be banned is suddenly somebody that is, you got, you know, you got to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. Because whatever, you may not like them, but they have the power, you know, they're the elected, you know, speaker of the house or something like that. They're the president of the United States. That's right. <laughs> At the same time, I think you should protect your viewers from being gaslit, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be careful there. So I would put it this way. And I'm not going to identify these three groups, but there are three groups that I'd say that that are, are are in this world we're all debating, right? There's the group that you know they're just absurd, ridiculous, uninformed um, gaslighters. Mm. Yeah, there are some of those that shouldn't be on. I think we all know who they are because you've never seen them on any of the Sunday shows, including uh, uh, including Fox News Sunday. Mm. Then there's a group that I would call that are professional hijackers. Um, if you're gonna interview a professional hijacker, meaning somebody who's just very capable of sort of shameless, has no decorum on air, is willing to talk over, doesn't care, you know, that like, oh, sort of almost wants the fight so they can fundraise off of it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm leery of giving them a platform, but if you do it, do it on tape. Don't mm -hmm. give them a live platform. Don't give them the opportunity to hijack. 
You know, this is your program. You have to, you're, you're there to, to inform your viewers in the best way you can inform them. So, you know, and then there are folks that I think there should be account that, that folks on air should, should see and hear the accountability questions, right? So it's, it's um, and, and I, by the way, I think if you asked everybody in, in this position uh, on Sundays, they probably wouldn't disagree with the three buckets I just gave you. Yeah. And I do think, you know, they're, they're, and this goes back to the media coverage of this. You're like, again, I, I don't, I won't get involved in those stories normally because I don't accept the premise that television should be treated differently than print. Hmm. So I always want to begin with there. It's sort of like, I'm not entertaining this question from you, um, uh, news organization X, you, you tell me your standards, <laughs> you know, first type of thing. However, I do think that, that there is a, you know, you know, there, there, you know, it's like, I also want to interview Vladimir Putin and he's somebody that gaslights, yep. but I probably wouldn't do live television with him. Mm. You know, so I, I think you have to, you, you have to, you know, have the guts to make those choices, right? It is, and again, it is about the deal you've cut with your viewers. And there are some, this is where I go back to, I think there are some people who have made a deal with their viewers that they are going to speak for them or they're going and, and that's what the viewers want from them. I have no criticism of that. That's their decision. That's their, you know, but that's not the, the, that's not the compact I made with my viewers. That's not the compact that we made in broadcast television, by the way. And I do think that, you know, it, it, there is, you know, I do think all broadcast TV has to be careful of, of the B word of banning anybody you know, these are the public airway. Uh, I they, do think cable has yeah. a different cable has, has a different set of rules, by the way. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a few Twitter accounts uh, that come to mind that have been pretty, you know, brutal in calling you out when they feel like you don't adequately question or push back on Republican guests. Does that bother you at all? Do you listen to that? I haven't. Yeah, I, you know, probably two years ago, I might have cared a little bit more, but I haven't. I'm not kidding. Yeah. After the sort of presidential debate season, I was just like, this is pointless. This is just people. Um, most of the criticism, by the way, that, that, that we in the mainstream media receive is from people who are angry. We're not biased towards their opinion. <laughs> right. They're not angry about what they're actually seeing. Right. They're they're just angry that, you know, they just want their beliefs channeled constantly. And they believe if you're not doing it, you're with the other side. Right. You know, this is this, you know, it's, it's amusing to me at times, but, um, you know, again, if you worry too much about the social media and you start to cater to the social media critics, you're catering to 7% of America and you're catering to probably a fringy version. I mean, it's not just the 7% of America on Twitter. It's the, it's the smaller percentage of that who thinks their opinions who are so narcissistic that they think all of their opinions matter so much more than, than anybody else's. Right. So it's a, it, it, it is something that you, you got to sort of know where it's coming from. I get, the you know, like I said, I take criticisms more seriously that are um, from viewers who have the w willingness to email me directly or something like that. Um, and by the way, most of the time, it's usually, you know, if it's constructive, it's usually a good conversation. Yeah. Now, uh, you obviously with, with Dan Crenshaw, you, you pressed him repeatedly on uh, the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. um, do you worry uh, about losing 
a conservative audience, which right now is very much pro-Trump? Do you worry about losing them if you're tough on Republicans and every time they come on, you question them about the 2020 election? Um, I, you know, I can't, again, I, it's sort of the same answer I'm going to give to you on the, on the other side, right? Which is, I, I think you have to, the minute you start worrying about the perception uh, of this, you know, you're, what are you holding back, right? You know, I, I, I just think there's more risk in doing that in compromising your own values uh, and your own journalistic principles. Um, you know, I think, I, I want to establish a, re, a relationship with people that come on my show, um, accept the premise. And if you don't accept the premise, yeah, it's going to be a painful interview. If you accept the premise, it's not going to be a painful interview. Mm. That's the bottom line. So for me, it's about <laughs> it's very a simple. Bit of, yeah, I don't, I, 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 that, I, I just sort of like, you know, we, we always joke like, oh, Senator X, yeah, they're a good guess. They accept the premise. Yeah. You know, you, people may not like the answer, right? But they accept the premise, and I view that as okay. That's important, and, and you know, the viewership that we have at Meet the Press is a pretty savvy viewer, you know. And so, uh, I'm not. We haven't, you know. I, I think the audience that cares about the um, the sort of tabloid version of 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 of, um, of what I'd call uh, media fairness. Um, is not somebody that's actually that interested in the seriousness of American politics. They're just, you know, they're just in it. They, they're the, they're the sports fans, right? They're just looking at it at, at who's winning or who's losing, team red mm -hmm. or team blue. And, and I think that that's that those folks are just sort of lost in their own, in their own social media smugness. I guess I don't know. <laughs> now you've been covering political campaigns uh, for a very long time. I think probably before I was born. Um, also, am I that old? I feel that old. You know, it's funny. It's like it's very hard. You know, middle age is one of these things. And you know, I'm I'm now sandwich. I'm in a sandwich here. I got you know, you know, I've got. It's just sort of my kids are. I got a daughter who's a year away from going to college, and uh -huh. I got a grandmother and a mother. You know, one in their 90s, one in their 70s. It is sort of this. I don't know what's the difference between young and old anymore, but it's like it's one of those things. Like, I guess I'm no longer young, and it's like. I, I tell you this, I get blank stares when I do too many Seinfeld references, that's for sure. <laughs> well, my, my comment was more commentary on the on the depth of your experience <laughs> than it was on, Thank on your you, age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're also the, the political director of NBC News, which uh, means you have a, you're pretty hands-on with the team that covers political yeah. campaigns. Um, do you think that the Trump era and what Trump did to politics has changed campaign politics forever? I know that's a painfully broad no, I, I, question, I mean, but the fact is every campaign changes something that going forward, right, in different ways and has influence. Um, I don't, you know, I, I I sometimes hesitate. You know, is Donald Trump a unique political figure? Um, you know, let me put it this way: Can you go forward in time and tell me who the next president after Biden is and how they got there? Right? You know, is it a celebrity? type of campaign, you know, that, that, that sort of the wave that sort of Trump tried to ride, you know, ride there. I believe it's a TikToker. Right. Yeah, there you go. It's a TikToker. <laughs> or it's Logan, one of the, one of the Paul brothers. One of the right? Paul which, brothers, yeah. Which, whichever one is, is, is least controversial in the moment uh, that the campaign starts. <laughs> um, no, uh, it, it, it's, you know, I, I mean, because, you know, it's funny is that 
there's a lot of people who would have told you, boy, the campaign rally is a silly waste of time and waste of money. Yet Donald Trump turned it into a very valuable political tool, right? And tactic, you know, um, somebody in 2015 would say, well, the dumbest thing to do is to do one event a day, an hour and a half speech and get off, right? And yet that works. So I, I don't know if it's a, you, I, I look on the people that are thinking about um, like who's got next, right? Mm. Um, and I don't know if, if, and so I do think that for a period of time, Donald Trump has sort of changed the nature of, 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 of sort of the discourse perhaps between the press and campaigns a little bit. Um, but I actually am worried COVID did more, change things more than, than anything else. I'm, I'm highly concerned that the amount of distance that's been created between politicians and, and the press right now, and, and we're trying to get it back with COVID, I, I hope we get it all back. I mean, you know, face-to-face -face interviews are much better than not. On the ground campaign coverage is much better than it isn't. Like, you know, I, I don't, it, it, you know, it. we didn't get to see Biden in the one car caravan in Iowa for very long, right? You know, or, or, yeah. or that stuff. So I'm more concerned about what COVID, I'm more concerned that too many campaigns looked at what Biden and Trump were able to pull off by, by keeping extra space between the traveling press corps and the ability to cover a campaign that that gets copycatted. So I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm looking forward to try to reestablish some, some of the media's, um, you know, what I would call, I, I, I always think we should be uh, politely intrusive, you know, but we need to be more, you know, intrusive on the trail to give you a, a better understanding of who these people are and whether they really, really have what it takes. And so I'm just worried that we're not getting our polite intrusiveness opportunities back because of more because of COVID than Trump. Yeah. Uh, well, Chuck, I could ask you a million more questions, but uh, I think we're out of time. So um, well, I, I appreciate uh, it. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, Thanks, and uh, have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out coverage of my conversation with Chuck Todd on Mediate.com.